0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Thank you for joining us this week as we continue our teaching series on the book of Revelation. Good morning, Real Life. Good morning. Revelation 18. All right. I'm still trying to recover from directed prayer right now. It was a good thing we didn't do that at the very end. would. We- keyboard behind was playing one of my favorite hymns, and it was just instantly, you know how the certain smells or sounds or whatever instantly port you back to another place? I was just back just like, I took that whole last song just to recover. Anyway, don't do that. Jason, don't do that, wherever you're at. Don't do that. Pick another song. Um, (laughs) Revelation 18. You guys ready? Okay. All right. We're working towards the end of this thing. Revelation 18. Last time we were here two weeks ago. Last week we celebrated 10 years. That was a pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah. 10 years of being here, making a scene. <laughs> Probably, hopefully a good scene, most of the time anyway. So uh, that, was, that was a big deal. So two weeks ago was the last time we talked Revelation, and two weeks ago we were talking about Babylon, an empire. And if you were here, remind me of kind of what the premise was. Babylon must fall. No matter matter what form Babylon takes, we can all argue about that, and we're going to deal some more with that today. Like, past, present, future, don't care, Babylon and all of its forms fall, okay? That's just a a nature of the beast, pun intended. (laughs) All right, Uh, so we're going to dive into this same idea today. We really left off right in the middle, Revelation 17, 18 is kind of like this, this one dialogue, this one conversation, we left off kind of right in the middle of it, so we're going to dive right back in. <clears throat> Revelation 18, after this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and on earth the made bright was, the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen, is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Now, John here, there's a note in probably the only study Bible I've ever recommended. There are a couple more new ones on the scene too, but Uh, The Archaeological, Zondervan Archaeological Study Bible, in its footnotes, had this uh, note that I thought was super good. John writes a funeral dirge for the most powerful empire in the world. Now, just consider for a moment, I know on this side of history, like, it looks quite different looking back. Like, no, well, no kidding, no big deal. From where John sits at his point in history, this takes some chutzpah. Now, Caesar Augustus, at the beginning of the Roman Empire, ushered in, we've talked about this before, 84 years of uninterrupted economic prosperity. I always like to say this a couple times because it takes us a minute for us to kind of get that in our head. 84 years of uninterrupted economic prosperity. 84 years of the stock market always having a green arrow going up. That's a thing. Now, for the last couple decades, when John writes Revelation... They have for a couple of decades not seen that up arrow and the Roman Empire has kind of been doing this and there's been a change of dynasties and everybody's trying to figure out politically what what Rome has to do to go back to those days when everything was going so great. But make no mistake about it, nobody would have looked at this and went, well, Rome is going to collapse. But John does. John writes a funeral dirge for the most powerful empire in the world. Uh, that takes some chutzpah in the, in the Hebrew. Guts. That takes some chutzpah, I'll say. <laughs> All right, let's, let's keep going. Now, watch it. Please listen to this. Please, like, don't just think about this. Listen. Shma. Hear. Hear this. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others. And repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear, in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon. For in a single hour, your judgment has come. Now, I know that we're going to be kicking a dead horse here, but let's just kick it a few more times just to make sure. Even, and even if you don't... Um, even if you don't agree with the take or the slant we've been using on Revelation, I, we just want to keep making this point because you can't ignore it. So what, however you want to explain it, that's fine. But we have to understand that John is not making something up from scratch, building something out of nowhere. Where is John getting his material? In the text. Thank you. So <laughs> we've at least done our work on some part. John is get, So last, two weeks ago, We looked at Isaiah 23 and Jeremiah 51 in reference to who? Babylon. Very good. Isaiah 23. Now let's grab a couple more. Just for good measure, uh, Isaiah 45 and, uh, 45, 48, what is it? Go ahead and throw it. 48. And uh, Jeremiah 50. We'll look at these two. I, I just want you to see all this stuff that John is saying we've heard before. Multiple times. Centuries before John wrote, we heard it all. Go out from Babylon, flee from Chaldea. Declare this with a shout of joy, proclaim it, send it out to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow for them from the rock. He split the rock and water gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked... We could even go to Jeremiah. Let's go ahead and jump to Jeremiah. Flee from the midst of Babylon. Do you hear the same phrase Like coming up in the prophets? Come out of her. Flee from her. Flee. Flee from Babylon. Like this, this is the same phrasing that John uses all throughout Revelation, all of this stuff. And go out of the land of the Chaldeans. Be as male goats before the flock. For behold, I am stirring up and bringing against Babylon a gathering of great nations from the north country. And they shall array themselves against her. From there she shall be taken. Their arrows are like a skilled warrior who does not return empty-handed. Chaldea shall be plundered. All who plunder her shall be sated, declares the Lord. Though you rejoice, though you exult, O plunderers of my heritage, though you frolic like a heifer in the pasture and neigh like stallions, your mother shall be utterly shamed and she who bore you be disgraced. Behold, she shall be the last of the nations, a wilderness, a dry land, and a desert. Because of the wrath of the Lord, she shall not be inhabited, but shall be in utter desolation. Everyone who passes by Babylon shall be appalled and hiss because of all her wounds. Uh, All of these things, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Revelation, all being written before the fall, of the empire that currently oppresses God's people. All of these things take chutzpah to look at the face of the, like they didn't have news, but if you can imagine news, fake or not, like watching it, thank you, <laughs> Watch, watching whatever's coming at you, headlines that are coming at you, and you have these prophetic characters that have the guts to stand up in the face of this onslaught of information and say, no. It falls. It falls. So stay faithful. Stay faithful, because this doesn't last. Never does. Never will. Now, <laughs> I want to do something else here today. Um, uh, I, have a, I have a friend who's a pastor in Michigan. A small little tiny church. A place called Bangor. Bangor, Michigan. And... Um, he, he has this saying that I've always loved. He says, the Bible is usually difficult. It's difficult for one of three reasons. Sometimes the Bible is difficult because of translation. And not just the, but the internal aspects of the scripture. How do we translate it? How do we bring it to life? Sometimes the scripture is difficult because of the internal nature. Sometimes scripture is difficult because of the external nature because of the context and having to bridge the gap of 2,000 years of history. It may relate to what I'm saying, right? The scriptures can be difficult, sometimes internally, sometimes externally. But then I love his third point. He says, sometimes the scriptures are difficult because they teach difficult things. I think Revelation is all three. Uh, Revelation is difficult internally. Because of all the internal wrestling matches that we have to go through, and, and sometimes issues of translation, but my goodness, this thing has really brought out how entrenched we are in certain theological systems. Like, forget our hermeneutics and forget those things premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial, pre trib, post trib, rapture, this and that, and everything else in between. Internal, external revelation is hard. It's hard to go back, do all the historical groundwork and figure out exactly where Revelation lies and it's never a closed debate. There's still lots of conversation to be had but it's very difficult externally. Does that make sense? Revelation is hard because Revelation teaches difficult things and I don't think we ever look at that. I think we distract ourselves with the internal and the external and we never look at the difficult things. So here's the deal this morning. I have struggled, I'm shaking right now, I have struggled through this whole series because there's a conversation that we haven't been having. Like we've kind of been hinting at it. There's a conversation that needs to be had here. And it's the difficult one. And so I want us to put all that other junk aside. Like pre-trib, post-trib, don't care-trib. Okay? rapture upside down, inside out, read your Bible backwards. Don't care. Okay? Put it all aside right now. Because we have got to wrestle with something. The difficult thing. This might be my last sermon today. <laughs> all right? Listen to me. We are Babylon. We are Babylon. We'll unpack that some more. I want to read the rest of Revelation 18, not with Rome, not with any of this stuff. I want us to read it with you and me, and I am at the top of the list. I am at the top of the list. I am the chief of sinners. Let's read the rest of Revelation introspectively, looking for the difficult things. Will you do that with me? Okay. Okay. And the merchants of earth will weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood. All kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, smartphones, fair trade coffee, wonderful designer clothes, fine flour. Wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, cars, SUVs, houses, businesses. That is human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you. All your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, with pearls, for a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste." And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sail- sailors and all who trade, all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like this great city? And they threw dust on their heads, and they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city, where all who had ships at sea, grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and pro- God's people are told to rejoice. I wonder how many of us, as we read that, thinking introspectively, were scared to death. Because we're on the wrong side of this. For God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of the harpist and the musicians of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And the craftsmen of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of the lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on earth. I do this because if I don't, I get way too worked up. So this helps me. We have largely two problems in American Christianity. One is that we think that we're building God's empire. And so imperial methods are okay. Well, we're on God's side. So it's okay to do it empire's way because it's God's empire. That is false. That is false. If you use empire's methods, you are not on God's side. Jesus told us you cannot serve both God and mammon. We're like, oh, money. Well, bigger than money. Money, yeah. Mammon was a God that stood for imperial wealth. That's why in some translations it'll actually be capitalized. It's more of a God than it was an idea or a concept. We think we're building God's kingdom, so using Caesar's methods is okay. It is not. And I don't want to make this about America. Everybody's jacked up about America right now anthems and patriotism, and I, I, I don't want to make this about America. It's incredibly relevant to the conversation. But we have so much of this, well, we're we'll the first empire to have God with us. Like, we're like the new, like it's all this horrible replacement theology. We're like the new Israel. No, we are not the new Israel. Second. Second problem. We believe that if we do what God asks us, God will bless us. That is false. We have this weird, like sometimes very much prosperity gospel, uh, sometimes uh, like a half prosperity gospel, maybe just a little prosperity gospel sprinkled in there. But the idea is that if I do what God asks me, God's going to bless me. God is very clear all throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. He causes it to rain on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. God blesses all nations. God disciplines people he loves. If anything, the scriptures tell you the exact opposite. If anything, Old and New Testament tell you that if God loves you, it's going to go worse for you because as a father loves his son, so he disciplines his children. So far from this, if I do what God asks me to, he's going to give me what I. No. And here's the real problem with these two different worldviews. Both of them. We start to use God for our agenda, we start to use God to prop up our thing, our political party, our worldview. Uh, God's on my side. He's going to, if I do what God wants, he's going to bless me. I'm building guts. so it's, I start to use God for my thing. We are, God is not a tool for us to use. God does not work for us. No matter who we are or what we claim to stand for, no matter what slogan we put on our money or lines we put in pledges of allegiance, it doesn't turn God into our tool. It doesn't turn God into our... It's like we were first captain and we're getting to pick teams and we're like, well, I get to pick God, you can have all the other ones. It doesn't work that way. God is looking for partners. He wants you, but He does not bend His agenda to your will. He does not bend your agenda to your opinions. It doesn't matter what you think about your enemies. The only thing that matters is what God thinks about your enemies. It doesn't matter what God thinks about, excuse me. It doesn't matter what you think about Republicans or Democrats. It matters what God thinks about politics. It doesn't matter what you think about your own security and what you need to be okay. It matters what God thinks. It matters what God thinks. We use God. And I'm telling you, and this is the only crack I'm going to make at how you read the book of Revelation. I think it's the whole reason why we have some of the most asinine theologies about Revelation because we don't know how to read it because it confronts the fact that we're on the wrong side. So the only way I can read this is to make it about Iran and the New Deal and the blah, 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 blah. Because if I were to actually read it in its context with the same biblical hermeneutic we would always use, it would confront me on my sinfulness. So we're gonna make it about there just to make sure that we can end up on the right team. Just to make sure that I'm not the beast, i got to come up with some other way to read it enough. Like, go home at some point this week, keep your notes or your Bible, (laughs) and just read Revelation 18 one more time. On your own time, and just ask yourself the question, who do we sound like? We are less than 6% of the world's population. We use over 60% of this world's resources. We are 6% of this world's population. We use over 60% of this planet's resources. Why? Because I need my wealth now. God bless America. I want to head to the time of the Lord's table because I feel like I need to stop talking. So if our servers want to go back and grab the bread and the juice for us, they're going to hand that out. If you're visiting with us here, (laughs) I'm sorry. Second of all, (laughs) we have an open table, which means if you want to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you're, you're family and you join us just hold on to the bread and the juice and we'll take it here in just a moment this is hard sometimes the Bible is difficult because of translation sometimes the Bible is difficult because of context and sometimes the Bible is difficult because it teaches difficult things I think we have an idolatry issue It's about our comfort, it's about our security, and I think we don't find it in God, we find it in empires. And listen to me, Babylon's fall. Every Babylon falls, every Babylon falls. There is no kingdom of God Babylon that reigns forever. Kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Kingdom of God is like yeast worked into a lump of dough. Kingdom of God is totally antithetical to empire on every level of the discussion. Kingdom of God works opposite, starts opposite, works opposite, finishes opposite. Empire doesn't come with trumpets and fire and wind and earthquakes. Empire does. And empire falls. Kingdom of God is like the smallest possible seed you could plant, but it's unstoppable. And it's the only thing that lasts. Have you been listening to Revelation? Where's the big climactic boom, victory of God's people? It doesn't exist because God's people endure. The message of Revelation is overcome. The message of Revelation is not victory. Triumph. The message of Revelation is we made it and now love and grace and mercy and compassion and Jesus are the only thing that's left. Glory, hallelujah. All right, enough. Implications. God does not work for us. I thought about putting periods after each one of those. God, period, does, period, not, period. Work, period, for, period, He is not motivated by our agenda. He is not a tool for our use. God does not work for us. He is not motivated by our agenda, no matter how right we are, no matter how absolutely positive we think we're, that's me included. He is not a tool for our use. Next. We have a tendency to believe that God is on our side, and so our imperial methods are acceptable. We have a tendency to believe that God is on our side, and so our imperial methods are acceptable. Well, we're, we're, we're God's agents, so killing our enemies is, is fine. We're doing God's work. This is false. This is false. And I don't know what that means. I don't know. I'm not president. I don't know. I don't know if I could be president. Honestly, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the kingdom of God does to that. I don't know. There are so many things. Listen to me. There are so many things I don't know. I don't know what to do about a North Korea. I don't know. I don't know. I do know what Jesus told me about how to feel about my enemies. He told me to love them. I do know that. I don't know what that, but there are things I don't know. There are things I do. Next, we have a tendency to believe that if we do what God wants, God will bless us. This is false. There is no guarantee that if you do what God wants, God will bless you. There is no guarantee that all those who don't do what God wants will be punished. That's not how this works. It's not how God works. It's not how he wants to work. Last invocation. What we believe doesn't matter unless it is rooted in what God says and does. What we believe doesn't matter unless it is rooted in what God says and does. We are tools, his vessels, and his partners, not the other way around. What we believe doesn't matter unless it's rooted in what God says and does. We are his tools, his vessels, and his partners, not the other way around. May revelation remind us of that truth this morning. I, I am at a loss to decide which way to go here at the table. So maybe I'll let God speak to you this morning. Uh, could be a time of confession, Um, it could be a time of pleading, uh, for something, making a plea before God. It it could be a reminder of method. Like it could be, okay, this is the method that God, he lays down. This is, this is kingdom. This is not empire. This is not empire. I lay down my life for you. That's not Empire. Empire gets built because people are like, well, why don't you just triumph, Jesus? Why don't you call down 10,000 angels? Why don't, you just, why don't you just plant your kingdom now? Let's do this thing. Let's get it over with. He's like, that's not how this works. That's not how I build the new heavens and the new earth. That is not the content of what I'm doing here in this world. That is, that's not it. It's not it. Wait, you're going to lay your life down, Jesus? Yes. Yes. Because that is what it's always looked like from the day you left the garden. This is like the great pronouncement of how weak every Babylon truly is. Because no Babylon understands this. No Babylon understands this. May, May we. Maybe that's my prayer this morning. Would we understand this? Not just as the thing that gets me to heaven, but the invitation that I'm invited to be a part of. Jesus is gonna say, remember me. That's an invitation. That's not, remember how you're getting to heaven someday. That's remember me because you have a way to live. You now have to leave this place and go live a particular way. Remember me. Remember how I did it. That night, Jesus was with his disciples. He took a piece of bread. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples. He said, take and eat. This is my body. Whenever you do this, remember me. Let's remember Jesus. And later in the meal, he took a cup and he gave it to his disciples. He said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. And whenever you do this, remember me. To remember Jesus. Father God, I don't want to paint a picture this morning that we are all useless, garbage partners that fail to. It's so much more complex. It's so much more nuanced than that. There are so many people in here that truly long to love you and worship you well. There, there's so much of our. Maybe call it idolatry, whatever. There's so much that it's not just outer, outright rebellion. It's just ignorance. Would you please shine light on the places where we we could see that uh, we we possibly have a Babylon problem? Now, if God, God, if I'm wrong, if I see this, if I see this incorrectly, would Your Holy Spirit blow through this place today? Yeah, would it? Would it blow through this place and and erase the memory of everything that I've said and and plant something new and different? Uh, But if there's something for us to know, if there's something for us to see, if there's something that we need to fess up to, would you lead us? We love you. It's in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from real life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter and visit our website, liferotp.com.